right. We welcome you to another episode of Learning Stories. Um, this is a show where we profile a diverse set of learners from the 21st century. In each episode of this show, we profile a guest who has a unique story to share about how they acquired uh, a set of diverse skills and knowledge in a creative and innovative manner. In the process, we hope to uncover a new definition of learning as conceptualized, narrated, and imagined by the guest on our show. Today's guest, doc Dr. Tracy Skepstra, is um, a dear mentor and uh, a close friend. Um, she was actually an instructor um, at the Bachelor of Education program, and that's where I met her. I was in one of her classes over there um, at Western University. And uh, just a small little bit of information for the listeners uh, before we get into Tracy's introduction. And I remember telling this to Tracy as well. Um, when I was in her class, I think towards the end of the semester, I actually told her that if there was one instructor I'd really like to model my future classrooms on, it would be yours, Tracy, because um, what I remember uh, from your classroom is that you gave every student um, so much attention and uh, you always felt like they needed to be included. And, you know, as a new teacher candidate, you know, that was really, really nice to see. And that's something that that sort of safety and that sort of space was what I wanted to give my students in the future. So thank you for doing that for me. And uh, but uh, just to give you a background of Tracy's uh, professional and personal journey, Tracy is the CEO and founder of uh, Embodied Learnings, which is an organization dedicated to creating thriving classrooms where students spend more time moving and less time sitting. I will be linking um, the company, the organization website uh, in the show notes below. And I highly recommend uh, looking at all the resources um, in text and video form that uh, Tracy and her partner, Rachel, have put up there. Um, uh, beyond embodied learnings, Tracy is a teacher, educator, and educational researcher. She has a PhD um, from the Ontario Institute um, for Studies in Education that she completed from 2009 to 2018. And uh, I actually really enjoyed reading uh, parts of your thesis that was titled, Making Meaning of Gender-Based Violence, Elite Subjectivity and Gender Performance in a Canadian Private School. Um, before she started her PhD program, she also completed a Master of Arts in Dance from York University from 2007 to 2009, right, Tracy? And then um, before that, she also had a Bachelor of Arts um, uh, with an honors in uh, fine art studies and dance as a minor and fine art studies as a major, which goes way back in uh, 1990 to 1994. And in the middle of this, Tracy also somehow managed to run uh, a wonderful arts-based program um, in the Durham region uh, for over 13 to 14 years, where she implemented arts-based programs for uh, children in the age group of zero to 12 years. Right, Tracy? Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's just so many, I mean, Tracy has such a prolific career and she's done so many different things. So I just wanted to summarize everything she's done. But in addition to her professional life, Tracy is uh, the wife to a wonderful partner and she's the mother of two beautiful children, uh, Rachel and Ethan, and also uh, the grandmother to two more beautiful children that she loves dearly. And I feel that is such an important part of her identity. Um, she's been an instructor at various universities, uh, doing courses related to arts-based programs, dance pedagogy, and peace education. And hopefully we can delve into all these different uh, areas in this short talk, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, but Tracy, you know, first of all, thank you for your work and thank you for making time for this discussion. Um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, I'm very grateful for this opportunity and um, well, thank no. you for having me. I was going to say that was a beautiful introduction. I was listening to that and I was like, wow, you did your research. And it's just actually lovely to hear. We don't often think back in those terms. So to hear you sharing uh, parts of my life as you did, it was actually really heartwarming to just kind of be reminded of some of the places I've been. So thank you. Yeah, and I think one of the defining sort of aspects of your career over time, Tracy, is just how brave you've been with your professional decisions, whether it's, you know, right out of university, you had the choice to um, take up uh, a teacher can uh, like a teacher education program, mm -hmm. but you, you knew that was not for you and you went the 
art-based education way. And there were so many different points in your life. And I, you know, I, I want to really backtrack a lot more to a point um, when you were a student at school, Tracy, you know, and we often think about um, so many other professional experiences in our life and you do really identify as an educator and teacher. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about what you were like as a student at school, Tracy, you know, what were the things you were interested in you know, going through your blog, I, I know that you grew up in British Columbia. Is that, mm-hmm. is that right? And um, I'm in Alberta as well before that. Oh, okay. And so I'm just curious, what was Tracy like in that period from, you know, from way back in grade one to grade 12, if you have any recollections of that phase of your life? Uh, I have tons of recollections. That's one thing I have is, is a, a very profound memory for my childhood. <laughs> Um, as far as being a student, I never thought I was the greatest student. Um, I never felt actually that I was educated in the way that really met my needs as a student. I was someone who, um, you know, I was certainly interested in what we were learning, but I think if I'd been taught differently, it would have had more meaning for me. Um, I loved being more physical. Uh, again, in those days, I loved to move. I was very athletic and I love dancing. And so when I was able to really utilize that part of myself, um, that's where I really came to life. Um, And I also had a really, I've always been very creative. I had a great imagination and I loved storytelling. And so that was something that um, from a very young age was really sort of prevalent in my world was being able to tell stories. And I actually often pretended that I was somebody I wasn't. So I remember going for walks with my dog to the beach and I had a whole different nationality and name and hair color and everything you can imagine. And I would go and be immersed in this very creative make-believe world. Um, And I had young sisters and I would often tell them stories that would last days or weeks. And I would take them on my paper route and just share all of these things. Um, but I also love to pretend that I was a teacher mm-hmm. and um, being the eldest of two sisters, it was really great to be able to tell them what they had to do. <laughs> and so I would get them to, you know, uh, read certain books and I'd have certain lessons. And um, that was where sort of I, I really knew that that was definitely a calling of mine was that I wanted to really somehow um, educate But as when I was a teenager, if anybody asked, what is it that you want to do with your life? I would say, I want to dance Mm -hmm. and I want to bring dance and creativity to others in my world. And I remember the way I would articulate it. People didn't always seem to understand how that could be possible. And yet I carved out an entire career where movement and the body is very intricate in everything that I've ever done. Not so much the way I imagined it when I was 15 or 16, but it was certainly something that has been the the common thread through all the decisions that I've ever made and continue to feel is really important to this day. Oh, that's, yeah, you put that so beautifully, Tracy. You know, I'm, I'm just wondering because it's so hard for a teenager to have that sort of clarity so early on in their life. And mm-hmm. I feel like your passion for the arts was also in a lot of ways fed by the environment around you. And I'm curious about the influence of your parents um, um, and your friends and your sister, and also um, the learning environment at your school in terms of, were there any pivotal um, early learning experiences? Was there a dance teacher or um, a fine arts teacher or, or somebody that really you know, got you thinking in that direction or an adult that really pushed you in that direction at that point, you know, because I feel like those sort of early interactions can really set you up in the long run. I'm just curious about that for you. For sure. Um, When I was young, I remember I was in gymnastics, which I enjoyed, and I always loved dancing and moving to music, but it wasn't until um, I was 10 that I was put in formal dance lessons, and that it wasn't so much the teacher or even the environment per se, but how it made me feel. And I remembered that when I realized not only was I good at it, but it felt really good while I was doing it. There was something that happened when I was in the experience of movement where I felt free in a way that I didn't feel in many other ways, aspects of my life. And and so that was really profound for me. It was actually a way in which I could 
um, move out of whatever I might have been experiencing in my life or at my in my home life um, and just be in a whole different space. So it was very therapeutic in many ways for me. And then in high school, I was really fortunate. We did have a really, we actually had a great arts program in my elementary school. Those were the days where arts were considered important and we you know, were allowed to have dance clubs and um, we actually did have um, you know, certain dance events and lots of music. And I played the violin actually for many, many years as well. And we had school plays. So I think I, that was good. That really did serve sort of that creative sort of need for me. But our high school, we had a phenomenal arts program and they introduced a dance program when I was in grade nine. And they brought in phenomenal teachers from the community to run the program. And that was when my real love for dance and the arts. So I continued playing um, you know, in the orchestra but then I started to learn dance in ways that I'd never been exposed to before. Um, and so that was where things really, really shifted and, and came to life for me. So, um, and I had to choose, like my parents, I wanted to do everything. So my parents said, you have to choose sports or you have to choose the arts. And I was, it was a very hard choice, but I went with the arts. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it's, it's amazing that your parents were so supportive, but just having that program at that point in your life could also have played and a very influential role in shaping that thinking. But I, I really like your point about saying how the arts gave you a space, even dance for that matter, gave you a space to really be who you truly felt you were. And I, I completely relate with that, Tracy, you know, because growing up, one of my um, avenues to really uh, express myself honestly was sports. You know, I really enjoyed playing sports and we had a little neighborhood playground um, near my house. I grew up in the Middle East. So mm -hmm. we used to just go there and we were so creative with how we created games and organized things. Mm -hmm. and, and that was my defining memory of my childhood was just going to that playground and playing for two or three hours and just exploring the neighborhood. And, you know, we, we had sometimes there'd be like a little construction site and a couple of us would think we were on a little quest around the construction site you know, building our own world. And, and we were also very respectful of rules and boundaries in that little space. Mm. Um, but then there were also times when it would translate onto more negative uh, tasks where there was stereotyping. And those were some things we were also learning from those uh, play and game situations. And I know you've delved into that in your dissertation um, mm. uh, at the middle school level. But, you know, moving on to um, like your life after high school, Tracy, you know, you did decide to do a Bachelor of Arts um, and you had a major in fine arts and a minor in dance studies. Yes. So I was, I'm curious about that phase in your life and what, uh, what that exposed you to, because it's very different to study something at a more introductory level in high school, but then to actually specialize at it in university means you're really committing to that particular path. So what were those four years like for you? And what was Tracy like as a young student at mm -hmm. university? Right. Um, so I really loved my program. Uh, it's interesting, the fine arts studies program was very interdisciplinary. And so I was able to um, be in drama classes. Um, I didn't actually do music. It's interesting, I kind of gave up the violin once I started university. Um, I enjoyed playing and I didn't love practicing and I realized it wasn't totally where my heart was. So um, I started to explore drama. I was part of the creative writing program as well and um, was attempted to write poetry. That's not my strong suit, but um, I did a lot of short uh, stories and was in that. And then I really decided that um, I wanted to be more involved in dance. And so I ended up getting my doing my dance minor and, and again, I think always that is where I found my sort of, um, between that and the writing, those were the two places where I felt most at home. And by the time I got to third and fourth year, I was just all in. I mean, I was taking the, the coolest courses and really meeting amazing people. And um, I thought for sure I'd go and do my master's right away. And the timing just wasn't right, but I, I really, really loved it. Um, 
And I was, you know, one of those students that I, I would say I did not excel at the courses I didn't love, like the electives that you had to take, like psychology. <laughs> but when it was something that I absolutely, um, you know, loved and could just go on and on and on, I mean, it wasn't, didn't feel like work to me. And so being able to talk about dance and write about dance and be in the classroom, moving my body in dance was, was really, was really beautiful. And what was an interesting turning point is they introduced a dance education um, course. It was a, uh, two courses. One was specifically for the formative early years. And then one course was for children who were in um, more like primary junior. And so I learned really the nuts and bolts of uh, dance education, which was a lot harder than I anticipated. And um, interestingly, a lot of students took it thinking it would be an easy course. And it was actually very complicated to really understand how you would take dance and bring it into the classroom to support student learning and wellness. So, so it's, it's about movement, but, but also in an education space where you know, you're actually taking concepts and bringing them to life through the, the experience of movement, really, really um, complicated um, when you're first getting immersed into it. And then I started doing practicums in local schools around York University in Toronto. And that was when I really knew, okay, this is, this is where I wanna start going. Um, and that was in my fourth year. And so uh, after that, because I had decided that I didn't want to be a generalist teacher, um, at that time, and I, I really wanted to be focused on the arts, I decided that I was going to become an entrepreneur instead. And I was going to try my hand at doing my, running my own business. And um, I was able to work in a preschool and I was their dance education specialist. And then quickly after that, um, I also worked for a company where I was a choreographer um, for an after school program. And then I started my own business where I ran a uh, music and movement program for families and their children, which grew exponentially over the years. And we offered tons and tons of arts programs. And then I went into schools as a specialist. So, so really, I would say the fourth year of my university was really pivotal in really taking me on that trajectory where I always in my mind thought, I'll go to teacher's college. And I went, no, I think I got to try something different. And it was a big risk. You know, I think everybody in my family was like, what do you mean you're not going to go to teacher's college? Like, you always wanted to be a teacher. That's all you ever talked about. And I said, I have to do it differently. So I did. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that decision would have been for you, you know, Tracy, because I, I mean, there, there are so many factors you have to consider in terms of, you know, your own financial stability and uh, thinking about how that would translate into a career in the long run and to be so young and to make that kind of decision at that point of time, I, I think that's, that's really wonderful. That, but but I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you put yourself out there into the world, you mm -hmm. know, opportunities just open up. And as you said that the Art Space Center really, you know, exponentially grew. And if you never took that chance, you never took that, that risk, you would never know if that was the path that you should have taken, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's something that a lot of us, you know, we sometimes take a back seat and don't give, you know, our, our hopes and ambitions that sort of opportunity to flourish. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just putting it out there in the universe can maybe open up opportunities for you that you never knew existed in, in previously. For you know? sure. Yeah, and I think I was, I mean, I'll be really honest, I probably didn't think lots about my own personal stability. I think I just, it just felt like the right decision. Um, and I probably would think about it more now, but I, I think when I was young, I just was like, I don't know, I just, it just felt like I just need to go in this direction and we'll figure it out and I can decide later. Yeah. Um, and I also, at that time, I, I was also married just after I finished my bachelor's degree. So I, I also had the stability and support from my my husband um, too, which you know he said, listen, if this is what you want to go for, then then why not? So um, I have to say, whereas some of the other people in my life may have been more cautious for me, he mm -hmm. was always my cheerleader. And so when you have a very supportive partner who at any point says, yeah, you want to do it, go for it. Like me going back to school later and doing my PhD, like you know 
we can't often do those things on, on our own if we don't feel that we have somebody who really sees that we can do it for ourselves. And so I, I have to give him a lot of credit as well for just allowing me to always have my wings ready so I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm curious, Tracy, you know, it's just, it's just beautiful that you, you had somebody that could support you at that point mm -hmm. of time, but I'm sure you did so much to make that sort of journey for yourself as well. But did you ever consider doing dance and fine arts professionally? You know, I'm just curious why was, uh, rather than like, you, you obviously had the, the option of taking up dance professionally and doing that full time. Was that ever something you considered or even fine arts because that's what you specialized in. I'm sure you had peers in your program that moved on to um, taking it professionally or doing it so was that something that you ever thought about early on? Um, maybe here or there. I don't know if I ever had the confidence to do that. Like I certainly enjoyed performing, but I think the education piece was always way stronger okay. than actually living my life as a, as a performer. I mean, in many ways we are a performer when we're teaching. Yeah. And yeah. I think I got those needs met because I had so much fun with my students. Sure. And, um, and I think that just felt more meaningful, um, sure. you know, and again, to be a performer, like actually go there, it requires lots of auditioning. And I just don't know if I had the, the thick enough skin to deal with those kinds of rejections um, at that stage of my life. Uh, but I do remember always feeling like education was really my path. Yeah. And it's interesting because it brought, it brought together your big passions of, you know, mm -hmm. working with working with children, storytelling, you know, your passion for movement. I think mm -hmm. education was that sort of space where all of it came together. And, you know, yeah. now, now that you, you jumped into Catching Fireflies, was that what the name of the organization was? Um, it, it, it became Catching Fireflies. Funny okay. enough, first name was Magic Soup. <laughs> oh, wow. And Magic Soup actually came from a dance exercise, um, I, like a children's dance education exercise by this brilliant woman named Sue Stinson, Okay. who has a bit, been a pioneer of dance education. And I loved one of her books. And the whole idea was that whatever you put into the soup, and this mm -hmm. is relevant to life, is sort of what you get out of it. So you would sit with children, we'd sit in a circle and say, oh, what should we put into our soup? And so we'd put in all these things and, and, and it could be like realistic things. Like I'm putting in carrots and I'm putting in this. And I'd say, what kind of soup is it? And then I, you know, you'd feel this little bubble and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I think it's a jumping soup. And then we'd all come <laughs> up and jump, jump, jump around and then jump back and say, we've got to make a new soup. And so it was really this fun thing of we're, you know, we're putting this whole new concoction together. And every time we do it makes, it creates this whole new movement in our body. And so yeah. um, I named my business after that because I, it was like every spoonful is a spoonful of creativity. <laughs> and then it became Catching Fireflies later, which um, I, I had a partner for a short time. And, and so as we shifted into our partnership, we renamed it, but um, that was the name that I, I had for the longest. Yeah. Well, that's such a, that's such a nice, uh, adorable story because I'm, I'm just thinking about um, like that, that 12 to 13 year period, I think it's about 14 years, um, 14 years or more, you must have seen so many students and so many classrooms and so many teachers. And I think that's where your philosophy of the importance of the arts and education probably got, uh, got really structured and developed. And I think so, you know, I'm, I mean, if you had to maybe, because I know a lot of teachers will also be listening to this podcast, Tracy, you know, and because you had uh, such uh, like a close insight into that sort of process of what the arts can do for students at that age, because you primarily worked with students in the ages of zero to 12, I mean, about one to 12 years old. So I'm just curious about like, what were some of the arts-based programs that you offered there? And uh, what kind of impact did you see in the lives of students and teachers in that phase of your life? So um, within my own creative arts center, um, so that started, so I actually started um, where I was operating out of a preschool and then eventually had my own space. And I saw families, we had families that came year after year after year. So there were many families that I actually got to know who brought their children into our studio space. And um, we had the, the music, early childhood music program. Um, it's actually an international program called Kinder Music. So that was the program we taught. 
Um, plus we had visual arts classes, we had, um, you know, summer camps, we had uh, birthday parties that were all creative arts based. And then I would also go out into the community and do workshops in elementary schools, preschools, um, early years, um, the Ontario Early Year Centers, and sort of wherever people would ask us and, and worked with a number of different age groups and um, and teachers in, in, you know, sort of across the um, GTA or Toronto and the Durham region. Um, and, you know, I, I think what was really interesting one of course, to see the evolution through the years in terms of the where the arts were valued that really changed in these schools, you know, where um, there were certain times where people were more interested in having somebody come in to support the arts and other years where literacy or numeracy was much more important and less pullback on the arts. So in my own studio, I was really fortunate that the people who came, they really saw the value of that for their own children and many, many, many of my families, uh, they were teachers that were bringing their children to me because they felt that their children were not, you know, really getting sort of the arts experience in other places. And they really wanted that for their children. And so they would um, see them year after year. What was really interesting, and again, we did start with, we had an infant program. So I think my youngest student ever was like five weeks old. And it was just so that, you know, this family could get out of the home and have a place where they could meet other families and, and just, you know, be in a creative space that their child and that child just kind of grew with you know over the years with us um but you know it was really about one of the most beautiful things was the way it brought families together that they would come to a place where they could just bond in with music and through movement where there was joy that was created there was no expectation i always said every child participates in their own way and sometimes participation is just sitting and watching sometimes participation is where children need to move in their own way even if it feels like they're not connected in the same way as as you know what the other children are doing you know that it's it's really about them getting a sense of themselves within this space and, and how it makes them feel and just allowing that process to unfold. Um, so those were things that I think parents became more aware of, the more that I would say, just allow yourself to be here and just to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think people kept coming back because they loved how it felt and how they could, they really had these moments of connection outside their busy life. But within the different programs we did, we also really focused on the fact that, you know, students were, you know, thinking more critically about their life. They were, you know, learning specific concepts through the arts. Mm -hmm. They were, um, you know, problem solving. They were, um, you know, making really beautiful connections beyond that moment to something else in their life that they would share with me when it connected to a lesson or a story we were telling or uh, something we were creating. So for me, the arts is goes is really also about life, and it's the way in which we we really understand relationships and community. It is very much how we understand ourselves, and it's how we start to develop these really critical skills like listening. Mm -hmm. um, again, with music and movement, it's instructional, but it's also sound, and it's like as I hear sound, is it faster? Is it slower? Is it higher? Is it low? And can I respond with my body? So. There's so many things that are happening within our entire being that happen when we are immersed in the arts. I mean, when it's playful, it, it, it creates engagement, right? Mm -hmm. So then students really want to be part of that process and the learning just happens, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to try so hard. So those are the things that, you know, um, over the years, I think parents would often comment on how they would see the change in their child's development in, in all these little ways. And they would really attribute it to being within sort of a very creative, um, you know, environment. Uh, but when I would go into the schools, you know, that, that was tricky sometimes because I would also want the teachers, I would say, listen, I do not want children to be forced to, you know, participate in a way that you think they should participate. Like I want them to find their own comfort level. like. The older the student, I find that sometimes the more discomfort that they can feel being fully expressed in their bodies. 
And so we need to give them time to adjust, um, you know, into, because I, when they're little, movement is very natural and children naturally want to be more in their bodies. And I think that as they get older and they're sitting in desks all the time, we kind of strip away that sense of a more embodied experience. And, and so if, if we always sort of have students more you know, in a more creative experiential way of learning. We don't do that, but typically I think, you know, the experiences that I've, I've seen within education, you know, it becomes more sitting, less moving, and then we develop almost a little bit of a self-consciousness around, you know, creativity and in and, and, and self-expression. So I really noticed that with older students. And so mm -hmm. it's almost like you have, they have to relearn that it's safe. <laughs> To play so we start low risk and you know build in that comfort anyway so those are a lot of the i hope that's answering your question but those are a lot of things that you know happened and that i was aware of over the years yeah yeah and you you've completely answered everything that i you know was looking at in that question tracy you know because i think it's such a large chunk of your life it's like 10 to 12 years mm -hmm. it's not it's not really easy to you know <laughs> bring it all together in like a couple of minutes and that is definitely challenging, but you beautifully spoke about so many different uh, reasons the arts is so powerful for students mm -hmm. at different points in their life. And I really like that point you made about activating the five senses mm -hmm. and our connection to those five senses. And we all are listening, we all are seeing, we all are, you know, uh, smelling different things, and you know, we all are feeling and touching things. But you know, even that point you made about how some of these senses are you know, put to rest as we go through middle and high school. And we often think it's just something that happens in our mind, you know, all the yeah. learning that is, is, is just something that happens. In, and it's not just something you should do only in an arts classroom. You know, I think what I've really got from instructors like you and other mentors is that the arts uh, as an approach to learning can be easily integrated in a math classroom or in, um, in, even a language classroom in so many different ways. And, you know, we really need to not think about that as something we do in a separate silo, but as something that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis to really allow students to freely express themselves through all these senses. And, you know, also I, like one of the things I picked up from what you shared, Tracy, was that the arts is not just something an artist needs to do going ahead. You know, I think as human beings, just because we're not a scientist or not an artist, it does not mean we don't or can't practice art and science. You know, we can dance in our house and that makes us a dancer. We can paint in our house and that makes us a painter. And, and I feel like that is something that needs to be um, really spoken about more is that mm -hmm. this is something that as human, it's, it's a very human, uh, like it's a very beautiful human activity to engage in you know, to dance together, to sing together, to, to paint together. And it's, in a lot of ways, it's how we as humans talk about our lives and leave our stories. You know, if you think about the way we talk about our lives, it's often in the music and in the books and in the family experiences and get togethers. And, and I think that's, that's, that's that foundational connection of the arts being such a human experience, not just something we do because we want to earn a living out of it, you know, or, and, and I, I really, as, as a teacher myself, Tracy, you know, I, that's something I want to push, I mean, sort of want to share with the students, because I know that they are their own individual beings, and they will develop their own understanding of these concepts. But I try very hard to uh, not let them, um, because I'm teaching elementary school now, and you know you have grade five students, and I try very hard to make sure that they don't think that they're a math person or they're a language person or they're you know an arts person. That you can be any of these identities at any point in your life, you know. Right. And it's okay to not be good at something, and because what I've noticed is even with the arts, as students move into middle school or with any subject. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, as a first year teacher, I've noticed is that they're very uh, like students are very afraid in the first few phases when they do a particular task of not doing it right. And then as a teacher, when I give them some feedback, you know, they look at that process as 
um, them not doing that task well at all. So they should not be doing this because there is this notion that only if I perform well to the tests, will I be good in this task? You know, but even the most prolific dancers or the most prolific uh, mathematicians, when they started learning something, I'm pretty sure they weren't very good at it, you know, and, and they failed a lot. And, and I, like more recently, I've realized it's so important to, as a teacher, to have a conversation, even yourself to reflect on this yourself, that, you know, when you are learning something, failing is actually the most beautiful part of the entire process because that's when you sort of see different things right. and you don't really have to call it failure. You just have to call it another attempt at picking up something new in your life or picking yeah. up. I mean, and, and I feel like that's, those are some of the things I'm slowly picking up. And this is just to share my understanding based on what I'm, what I'm hearing from you, Tracy. And, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, the work and just, just the amount of time you've put into articulating your thinking about this, you know, and I think it's amazing that we have an organization like Embodied Learnings where, you know, we have all those resources right now, but I'm sure Embodied Learnings, the organization that we see today, a lot of it goes back to those 14 years, you know, where you were in those classrooms <laughs> and you also did a master's of arts in dance education um, at York University from 2007 to 2009. So, you know, thank you for all those years of effort that lead up to embodied learnings right now. But, you know, I, I know right after your Master's of Arts at York University, you decided to pursue um, a, a PhD program at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. And this was in 2009. And, and that's when your shift to academia sort of started. So I'm just curious about you know, the, the context and the life experiences that led to that transition from mm -hmm. the Arts Space Center and your MA in education to the doctoral program in, in 2009. How did that come about, Tracy? Um, so I was, I found that when I started my uh, Creative Arts Center, you know, it was, uh, it was quite a challenge to understand sort of how to run a business um, and I did that really successfully. And I found that as my children were getting older, it was one, it was, I was doing so much work that was not always related to teaching. And I was found that I was not with my family as much as I wanted. So that was one part of it. Um, I also really felt that I was at a space where I wasn't being challenged as much as I wanted. And a lot of the, the, you know, I was only going into schools where they may, like they had the funding, for example. Um, there's only so many schools that can raise money to hire somebody. And all the families that came to my studio were those that were financially able to, you know, put their children in extracurricular. And I felt that I was, there was so much more that I could do. And selling my studio, I think, and going back to school was at that point where I was like, I want to make a greater impact. I'm not sure where I'm going, but there are so many other children who I think could really use what it is that I have to offer. It's just finding my way to reach those students in a, in a, in a very in a different platform. And um, so while I didn't know, I just, I just knew that I was sort of at the end of the road with where I was with my business. And, um, and so I decided to go back and do my master's and really focus on dance education. And I really was, at the time, character education was really new. So I thought it was really interesting to look at character education through a movement perspective and how you could actually help students think about ideas of inclusion and respect. And, um, and there was a, a few other focuses that I was looking at, but like, how could we do that through a more embodied experience is what I wanted. So I actually ended up doing that as research. And I went into a school and worked with grade two students and um, just to sort of see like, could they understand these concepts differently through these movement experiences? And, and it was really interesting to see how, you know, students that normally had not been included in the classroom, that when we did certain movement activities were suddenly with a new partner or a group of students that did include them. So it was just sort of the starting point of where can I go and look at this differently. Um, 
you know, I'm watching my children in schools and just really seeing sort of relational dynamics. I, I, I also, that became something that was really important. I really wanted to focus more on conflict resolution and the ways that we communicate. And um, so once I started to really go, okay, I think I'm going somewhere. I knew at that point, getting a, a PhD in education within curriculum teaching and learning, which was my department was, was really where I needed to go next. Um, and again, when I got started, still not quite sure where I was going. And, um, and then I was really fortunate that there was an opening for teacher education. Mm -hmm. And, and I had spent two years working with, um, on a research team where I was sort of considered the primary education specialist on that team. And we were looking at conflict resolution and peace building initiatives. Um, within sort of the context of elementary schools, but specifically in the kindergarten through to grade three um, and looking at circle processes and, and just lots of communication tools and things. And so again, because it's, it requires the body and you know, communication is so much the body. So that again, just started to right like to make me think, okay, how can I bring these pieces together? Um, and I, I, I was going to say there's probably two different directions. There's the, I got into teacher education, but then there was also my research, which are kind of two diverging <laughs> areas. Yep. Um, but when my daughter was in grade eight, she had an experience of um, uh, sexual harassment that was actually very traumatic for her. Mm -hmm. And um, that was really changed the trajectory of what it is that I wanted to do. Um, with my own personal research, which is why I ended up looking specifically at school-related gender-based violence. Um, but again, I, it was always rooted in, you know, how, how is it that we understand our own gender identity? So again, looking back at sort of the body and the connection to our own body and, and, and sort of what embodiment looks like and all of those pieces. So that's sort of how I got into my research. And that was really helpful to also go back to the dance and, you know, how can we talk to, um, you know, students and teachers about how it is that they can support their students, again, in, in respect and creating more comfort and safe spaces, um, you know, by using these different modalities like the arts, you know, and then my deeper understanding of sort of, you know, relational dynamics. Um, and then at the same time, I kind of, I got into teacher education and that's where I realized that this is where my, I can make my impact instead of me teaching it in my studio or going school to school. If I'm working in teacher education and every year I'm able to teach cohorts of teacher candidates and really share what I know and all the insights, then they can go off into their classrooms and hopefully you know, take even one thing that they've learned and start applying that with their students. So that's what led me on that path. And I was in teacher education up till now. It's been 10 years. Yeah. So, and anyway. I'm, yeah. No, I'm, I'm so glad you moved into teacher education, Tracy. I, I would never get the opportunity to meet <laughs> you otherwise, but I, I really appreciate the fact that I got that chance to interact with you so early on in my career, Tracy. And, you know, it's also your... Your, your, the research, you know, your dissertation, I'm, I'm about 30 to 40 pages into the dissertation now. And, you know, I, I think it's so important that uh, you looked at a topic that, because I, I know there was, when I was reading through the introduction, there were a lot of challenges with um, getting access to institutions that would allow you to conduct your research in okay. the most honest uh, possible way. You mm -hmm. know, and, and that I feel is one of the as, as practitioners, you know, as, as school teachers, you know, we're often trying to find a way to connect our work in the classroom to the research being published about education, you know, and there is, you need someone that has their shoe in both areas to be able to make that connection. Mm -hmm. And I feel like because you were an educator for so long, and then you had that long training in academia, mm -hmm. you, I think your research really uh, found a balance between academic research and what's happening in the classroom in a very, you know, beautiful, um, seamless way. And, and mm. I think it's, it's so important for other teachers in the classroom to also realize that 
they are also researchers. The yeah. things that they observe in their classroom mm -hmm. are things that need to be studied and analyzed because when we document our understanding as teachers, we're mm -hmm. actually allowing other teachers to reflect on the same experience. Because as I read through your thesis, Tracy, I am constantly aware about what I am doing in my classroom when mm -hmm. I see such a situation that happens there. And, right. and I think that that in the long run is the, the legacy that that kind of research can actually leave behind for teachers, you know, mm -hmm. that actually uh, want to go into the classroom. And I really think, like, I know we were introduced to it at a more foundational level as teacher candidates going into our B.Ed program, but accessing and reading academic research should be a skill most teachers should be really introduced to and also given additional in-service training on, you know, because there's so much that researchers like you do, you know, you right. spend such a large chunk of your life, 10 years of your life, really documenting, you mm -hmm. know, that significant understanding. And mm -hmm. I feel that as a teacher, if I spend even half an hour or 45 minutes a week, you know, reviewing latest research in the field in different in different disciplines in different areas, mm -hmm. because it does get very specialized, even in uh, like a small area like curriculum studies, you know, there is um, there are research studies related to mathematics education, research studies related to uh, language education, and then even smaller areas over there. But but yeah, I just wanted to thank you. And I, I completely agree with your insight or your reflection about how being a teacher educator, mm -hmm. you were just able to reach so many other candidates mm -hmm. because in an indirect way, you will influence their life and they will go into their classrooms and sort of impact students in so many different ways. But what I will recommend uh, to the listeners is to take some time to really review um, Tracy's research. I will include links to um, her research and the organization's website because it's really hard to summarize and talk about it in a small discussion. But, but you know, it's a Tracy, long dissertation as well. <laughs> it is, yes. I think it was 402 pages or? It, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a mammoth um, project to uh, write about. But. No, but, but, but thank you, Tracy. You know, I, I genuinely think that you know, that sort of effort that you put in that nine year period, it, it will have a legacy or mm. a contribution way beyond what you think. And as a teacher myself, reading that, I already see the impact in my practice. Mm. So I, I really appreciate that as a teacher. But, you know, I really wanted to end this discussion, Tracy, with, you know, on a more personal note, because I know your identity as a, a partner, as, as, a, as a mother and as a, mm -hmm. as a grandmother are so important to your practice right. as well. And I think family has been like a foundational sort of uh, uh, motivation for you with, with your research, with mm -hmm. your, your work in life. So, and I remember having this conversation with one of my um, practicum uh, supervisors and uh, I, I do not have kids myself, but I remember uh, her telling me that when she became a, a mother, um, she realized that every kid in her class is someone's baby, you know, and that in some way shifted her practice, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm just curious about how, how did becoming a mother and now a grandmother and also, you know, being the wife to a, a beautiful, like a, such a supportive husband, how did those elements of your life shape your practice as an educator? Um, so I totally agree that when I became a mother, it really, really changed my perspective. Um, it was actually my son that probably shifted it the most. He's, um, he's now 22, mm -hmm. but as a young, uh, young child, he was what I would call a very spirited child in that he had so much energy and he had a very, very strong personality. And he taught me so much about patience, um, an incredibly loving, compassionate child, and also just a force. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mother always jokes that if I had only had my daughter, I may have seen other children in the world who had that stronger nature about them as maybe the, you know, the parent had done something wrong. And I realized that here I had two completely different children and that needed 
really different approach mm. as a mother. And, um, you know, being the mother to my daughter was actually very easy because she just was, she was really focused and she would just sit and read books. And, you know, as she got older, she just loved to be in conversation. And she was always, you know, even when she was really little, she just loved listening to the adults talk. And, um, but my son, he just needed something more. And I really had to tap into who is this person? Mm-hmm. And how can I best be there for them? And it, it took me into places of great discomfort because, um, you know, there were times where I was, I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got to figure this out. I don't feel like I'm doing this right. And then I realized, okay, like I need to get on the floor and I need to really wrestle with him or he needs longer transition times or like it was these other things. And the moment that I started to really um, get comfortable with, again, parenting these two beautiful children in completely different ways, it just, I could see my students so differently, Mm. right? Because it's so easy to label and judge certain students if they are behaving in a way that doesn't make us feel comfortable or we don't like, or we think it's disruptive, right? It's, we, we praise the ones that seem to be doing the right thing and following along and listening quietly. And it's not that there's something better or worse about either of them, it's it's just that they have different needs and there's we need to find a way to engage them. And, and that's really tricky, especially in a classroom, but it really took away for me that sense of, I am not here to judge them, I am here to love them with my students and get to know them. And it, it just it just transformed the way that I was able to look at the children in my care. Um, And it was interesting too, because when I did my research, my son was incredibly helpful. So here his sister had had this experience that was really traumatic for her and very difficult for our family. And again, I explained that in my, the first chapter of my dissertation really well. Like it was one of the hardest things we've ever gone through as a a family to support our daughter and just to know kind of how to move through something, you know, that was that impactful. But when I actually was doing my research, I was working with grade seven and eight students in a school and I would see um, particular things happening with with male students. And I would go back to my son who was in grade eight at the time. And I'd say, you know, this is what I'm noticing in my research. What do you think about that? Mm. And he would articulate, mom, it's really hard to be my age or it's really hard to be in school when somebody says that and to stand up or whatever. And so he taught me so much even about what I was seeing in my research by listening to him talk about his own lived experiences Mm. that I could look at those children and say, just observe. And again, those are somebody's children and they are trying to figure it out. And I'm not going to villainize them any more than I wanted to villainize the children that, you know, harmed my daughter. They were just kids. So those things have been really impactful. And I feel like I do that regardless. I I am a person that I think really takes people and tries to get to know them. I've done that with my teacher candidates too. You know, my biggest job has always been the most important thing for me always as an educator. It always has been, it always will be, is that I need to develop a relationship, which means that I actually really see you and I hear you and I want you to know that you matter to me. I am not going to ever be everybody's favorite teacher. I know that. Because we, you know, we don't match up necessarily with everybody, but I, my intention is always, always, always to be present to those that I am entrusted to, to be with in an educational space. And I do everything in my power to let them know that. And, um, and that is where I think has been my greatest um, learning through being a mother and the relationships I've had through my family. Yeah, and, and you, you really demonstrated that even in your uh, practice as a teacher educator, Tracy, you know, because one of the things I remember from Teachers College being in your classroom was this activity where you made us all write you a letter mm-hmm. right at the start telling us how we were feeling. Yes. And that's actually something I tried to implement in my own classroom where uh, every month I let the students write me a letter and I also write them a letter telling them, Um, on a personal note, how Mm -hmm. I feel about or how they are feeling about what's happening in class, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
And the other day, I was just thinking that on a day-to-day basis, you know, I, I try my very best to have a heart-to-heart conversation with each student in my class, mm-hmm. you know, just to check in with them and say, and not, not about something at school. And I think that's where my practice has slowly shifted as well, where coming into Teachers College, I always thought it's about how you deliver the curriculum, you know, mm-hmm. because I was very naive. I didn't really understand. And, you know, you, and even as a younger teacher who's not really a parent, you know, you think that getting the curriculum done, finishing all those objectives, that is the goal. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a strong relationship with your children, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's so much more challenging with teaching because you get them for just one year. Right. And, you know, parents are able to see the kids' growth from a very young age to where they are now. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, it's so important for you to really be empathetic, to not only understand that there is something that the student has experienced before they came into the classroom, and they mm-hmm. will experience things even after they go out mm-hmm. of your classroom. So you need to be humble in the sense that you're not going to be able to you know, completely transform their life. But if yeah. you really listen to the kid's story, they will give you answers to what they need, you know, and I like one of the, I, I recently read a book by Alison Gopnik, who's this developmental psychologist, and the book was called The Gardener and the Carpenter. And mm-hmm. in the book, she mentions this analogy of how um, there are two sort of approaches um, to creating a nurturing environment for children is that one is as a carpenter, we try to sculpt the perfect individual based on what we think the right model. So we tell our kids that you need to study this, you need to study that, this is the path you need to go to. And then the other approach is creating a garden where your student can just you know, live and you are there. But in that garden, they just have this, the opportunity to explore so many different things. And it's okay if they fall a couple of times, but mm-hmm. You know, they can actually just grow and you are there if they need any support. But I, I feel like that is the approach I, I think your work also moves towards, creating that nurturing garden. And, and that's, that's sort of the philosophy I'm, I'm trying to also evolve in my own practice as an educator. But, but you know, Tracy, I, I want to be you know, respectful of time. I think this conversation, I can just talk to you for hours and hours about all your work. But... You know, can, I, I mean, can I just add one quick thing before yes, you, please. I was just going to say, as you were talking, I just kept thinking of planting seeds Yes. and, and what it means to tend to the garden mm-hmm. without, without over, um, without overly uh, manipulating and managing, right? Because what I love about the analogy of plants is, is that they just know how to be right? Mm-hmm. Plants don't need to be told how to bloom, mm-hmm. how to grow, right? They just do. And while children need some guidance and nurturing, that the more that we come in and kind of try to micromanage what that is, they can't just be and, and bloom the way that they would naturally, you know, choose to do. Mm-hmm. If we gave them that space, so plant the seeds and tend to it and, you know, and, and make sure they get that water and, and all that nourishment through the education space. But then it's like, just allow the growth to also happen. And so that they can show you, you know, what they look like in their full form. And that's, and that's a, yeah, and that's a beautiful note to end uh, this conversation. Tracy, thank you again for your time. And uh, yeah. <laughs> to, the, to the listeners, I will be linking uh, uh, all of Tracy's work, at least as much, I mean, there is so much to review, but I'd recommend going through the Embodied Learnings website um, as a, a teacher or as an educator, but also as a parent or student just interested in how uh, movement can really transform um, classrooms and learning environments. And uh, I will also be linking uh, Tracy's uh, research and uh, I would also recommend looking at Body Talks, which is this wonderful initiative started by uh, Embodied Learnings, uh, where they interview a lot of professionals. And uh, I've got a lot from these uh, resources that Tracy and her team have shared. And I, I think it's really important to take this discussion forward and not just stop it with listening to this podcast or this interview, but also maybe 
reaching out to Tracy and her team at Embodied Learnings to see how you can work with her to really bring that into your uh, classroom if you're an educator. But as parents, I'm sure there are ways they can also um, engage with you. So until next time, thank you again for listening to this. Uh, stay tuned for more such episodes um, with other learners and uh, who have uh, other beautiful stories. Um, until next time, keep learning. Thank you again, Tracy. Thank you so much.